0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Feet Firmly Planted in mid air by Pastor Sean Wood. Let us pray before we come around God's Word. Father, I thank you that we are all here for an exact purpose. I thank you that you have created every one of us. You love every one of us. Father, I'm asking that as we delve into your Word this morning that we would find you in greater measures. Open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Some of you may have heard me uh, tell this story before, but I'll tell it again anyway. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are on a camping trip and after dinner and too much wine, they resign to their tent. Halfway through the middle of the night, Holmes wakes up and says, Watson, he says, what do you see? And Watson replies, I see millions of stars. (laughs) And Holmes says, okay. He says, well, what does that tell you, Watson? And Watson, he ponders for a moment and then he says, well, you know what? Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. He says, astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo, He says, Horologically, I can deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. And meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. And what does it tell you, Holmes? To which he pauses for a moment and says, Watson, you idiot, someone has pinched our tent. (laughs) But just like our... Uh, Just like our friend Watson, so many people are making many observations and overlooking the obvious when they're looking for answers and the fact of the matter is that whether you sit in a church pew or whether you're outside these doors, you're looking for answers. Everybody is looking for answers and the ultimate answer that everybody wants is, what is the meaning and the purpose of my life? And we're going to have a look at that. There was a man that wondered that many years ago. My title for this morning's message is Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. And Greg Kukul actually writes a book called uh, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. So I've pinched his title this morning. And he writes his book concerning the, the, the relativistic and postmodern culture that we live in, where relativism is if it's true for me, then it's true for me. Leave me alone, in other words. And uh, postmodern means that we don't need God in a lot of ways. That's, that's basically what it means. But. For us, they belong to the up generation, and that's the easiest way for me to explain it. This next reference, everybody will know. We, we talked about songs that make impressions on us this morning, but there's a song that has made an impression on generations, and it's a song that was, that was written and ripped across the, the radio waves in 1965, and it was written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. It was a song called No Satisfaction. Who would have thought that in 1965 these two guys, one with far too much lip material and the other one with far too much, far too less brain material, would end up writing a song that would catch the absolute heart of a generation in the 20th century and the 21st century turns out that since 1965, mankind has unanimously cried, I can't get no satisfaction. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are two guys, along with King Solomon, who we'll look at today, who should know what it is to get some satisfaction. These guys have had all the money that you could think of. They've got all the women lined up wherever they go. They look like they should be put in a museum, but whenever they turn up to an airstrip, there are women flocking there. How do they do that, Terry? I don't know. Have a look at them. They look like shriveled up prunes. (laughs) Keith Richards is a man that has experienced everything that he can get his hands on. In one interview, he even said, yes, I did smoke my dad's ashes. Why? I wanted to be closer to my dad. (sighs) Okay, Keith. (laughs) Whatever's good for you is good for you. But I've got an answer for Mick Jagger this morning and I've got an answer for Keith Richards and for everybody else that listens to that song. Rick Warren says it beautifully when he says, you were made by God and for God and until you understand that, life will never make sense. You will keep finding the truth that there is no satisfaction outside of God. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is many people say it shouldn't even be there. It is written by a pessimistic madman full of half-truths. But I want to tell you this morning that one man's pessimism is another person's realism. In fact, what we will find in the book of Ecclesiastes is somebody who walks into a room and can smell an odour and says, you know what, I'm going to actually look in the bin and try and find out what it is. I'm going to lift the lid on those questions that you're asking. Can we actually really find any kind of satisfaction and meaning in this world? That's a very good question. Can we find any satisfaction? We were made by God and our purpose is that we were made for God. Hallelujah. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. We will see that in the very first verse he he references himself as the preacher why would he do that? Because the Greek word ecclesia is a congregation or a gathering. It's where we get our word for church. And Ecclesiastes is one who speaks in the congregation. He is a preacher and he has gathered people that he wants to tell them, uh, he wants to, wants to show them a lesson. And this, you know, in, in the time of King Solomon, this is exactly what you did. In, in, in the first chapter of the book of Proverbs, this is what King David does with his son Solomon. And we read how he, he says, this is the life that I have lived and here's some lessons that you can learn from here on in and now Solomon is going to say to us, here's the life that I've lived and there's some lessons that we can all draw from this. We are going to have a look at some pretty pessimistic views on life but there are some fantastic good news in this book that we will see. So Ecclesiastes is written by uh, Solomon, it was written many centuries ago, but we are going to find, as Solomon coins the phrase, friends, there is nothing new under the sun. We are going to find that just as it was in the time of King Solomon, so it is today, people are still trying to find satisfaction in all the wrong places. Before we go any further, we have to, this is where a lot of the controversy surrounds this word, Hevel. This is a Hebrew word that is used 38 times in this book and it will be translated in your Bibles as vanity or meaningless That's, or maybe emptiness depending on the translation that you have. It could say meaningless, vanity or emptiness and those words in themselves are absolutely correct but they don't grasp the fullness of the context that Solomon is using the word hevel in because it actually means vapour or smoke. And although he wants us to understand that yes, life is like a smoke, it it appears momentarily and can be brushed away at any moment, what he really wants us to know is that life is like vapour and it's like smoke. In other words, it gives the appearance that it's solid, but when you try to grab hold of it, there's nothing there. And so he wants everybody to know, and we need to understand this as we work our way through this book, that everything under the sun, as he would coin it, everything under the sun, everything we see in this world that people try to build their lives on is empty. You can't actually get a grasp on it. And people's lives will spiral downwards. Friends, we have got a problem when I worked at the LGA, the Launceston General Hospital, I was astounded. When I was cleaning the kids' ward, this is a detriment upon us. When I was cleaning the kids' ward, there was two rooms at the end of the corridor, and I asked, what are those two rooms? Because there was always a nurse sitting at the front door of those rooms, always. And they said, those are the rooms reserved for adolescents who have tried to take their own lives. I said, what do you mean by an adolescent? They said, anyone from about 11 to 15 is common. I said, you're kidding! What has happened that an 11-year-old wakes up in the morning and says, I've got no purpose in life? What has happened? What has happened when somebody of 80 years of age, let it be, Lord, comes to the end of their life and says, oh, there's no purpose in life? We have got a problem. But here's the greatest truth. We actually have the answer. There may be a problem, but we have an answer. Life is like heaven. You can't grab hold of it. There's nothing solid there. We will look in the first two chapters in the, of Ecclesiastes. We will look at the truth of secularism. We will see that just as it was in the time of Solomon, so it is today that, that we live in a secular society. But what does it mean to live in a secular society? Have a look outside these walls. Have a look at the people that think you can find all of your meaning, purpose and satisfaction in the things of this world. The catchphrase of the secularist society is, we don't need God. The catchphrase is, we can do life on our own. The catchphrase is, we can explain how we got here on our own. We can find meaning and purpose on our own. And if you have a very short look around you, you will see that they are coming up empty. How's that working out for you? Secularism, as the writer to Ecclesiastes will say, is like chasing the wind. Go outside and chase the wind. Let me know if you catch it. And while you're there, try and tell me where it starts and where it finishes. You can't. Let's begin in verse 2. The preacher says, A vanity of vanity says the preacher Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, all is meaningless, all is empty, but we need the qualification that comes in the next verse. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And there is a distinction that he uses when he says under the sun, because later on he will use the term under heaven, and there are two different meanings. Under the sun means everything that consists of this world. And so often people live in a box, which is everything they can see in this world. And if they could just lift their eyes beyond to the one who made the box, they would find their meaning and their purpose. But the writer to Ecclesiastes is saying it's meaningless. Everything here is meaningless. He's going to make the distinction between what is here on earth and having faith in God that drives that. As I was introducing this series of, on Ecclesiastes, which is climbing the mountain of meaning, I said that so many people rush to chapter 12 and read the verse that says, Fear God and keep his commandments, because that is the sum of all things. And they say, there it is. There's the purpose and meaning of life. I found it. And yes, you have. That's the outworking of it. But in truth, what the writer to Ecclesiastes wants to expose is the one underlying truth that we all need to come to. This life, in this world, under the sun, Holds no guarantees. Holds no guarantees. Let me explain. Ever notice how bad things happen to good people? Ever notice how good things happen to bad people? The writer of Ecclesiastes, as we work our way through, he's going to expose the fact that that's exactly what does happen. He's going to say, I... I, we're going to see even in chapter 2 he's going to say "I, I devoted my life to living wisely and gaining all the knowledge I could and living by wisdom and although he says he will say that that's a good thing what he actually says is I found that even though I was living wisely bad things happened to me just as much as the guy down the road he doesn't say it's bad to live wisely he just says and questions where we place our guarantees And that's the overarching theme of Ecclesiastes. He wants to challenge where we place our guarantees. You see, the fact of the matter is that the storms will blow upon every vessel in this room. I guarantee you, if you're sitting here going, no, not me, Pastor. Everything's going really well in my life. Put your seatbelt on and buckle up because I guarantee you it won't remain that way. Romans 8.20 was not making a mistake when Paul said all of creation is subject to futility and we are part of creation, friends. We are part of God's great creation, but there's no guarantees under the sun. What is important is where we find our guarantees. What is important is realising what the writer to Ecclesiastes wants us all to know is You know what, there's no guarantees in this life and the sooner you accept that and place all of your reliance in God, the sooner you'll find the guarantee you're looking for. The very first message I ever preached in this church was the message on Jonah, which was adrift on the sovereign sea. There's a beautiful picture where Jonah says, cast me into the sea. And what he's saying is, God will have his way. You're trying to get me back to land? That isn't working, is it? How's that working out for you? (laughs) Chuck me over. You know I'm the problem. And he casts himself onto the ocean and says, God, basically, have your way. Jesus lived this life. I love how Jesus exposed this life. He lived a life that just relied upon God. Do you know he preached the word to crowds? But the greatest evangelist that ever walked the earth was Jesus. But do you not know not everybody he preached to believed and received? I find that astounding. Greatest evangelist who ever walked the earth. But not everybody accepted his message. We just need to do our bit and let God do his bit. For those who don't know of Ravi Zacharias, please accustom yourself with Ravi Zacharias. He says you cannot really have the world and hold on to it. It is all too temporary. The things of this life are all too temporary. And the more you try to hold on to it, the more it actually holds you. You. By contrast, the more you hold on to the true and the good, the more you are free to really live. Basically, what's that mean? It doesn't, there is no problems in, in being wealthy. There is no problems in having great possessions. The problem is if the possessions have you. There is good news when we get to the end of this message that I want to point to. But we have to look at the bad to begin with. Let's keep reading through chapter 1. We come down, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And do you know, I think that's actually the greatest testament uh, to the existence of God. Uh, Vince Vitale points this out in Jesus Among Secular Gods. But I think the greatest testament to God is the regularity of the universe. Do you know, for millions of years, and yes, I said millions for those that are wondering, do you know, for millions of years, the sun has come up and the sun has gone down, just like it will today. And for those that propose that everything came from nothing, when was the last time an elephant just (laughs) appeared in your lounge room? It doesn't happen. But there is regularity in the universe. There is regularity in the seasons. There is regularity in the weather. There is regularity in the cosmos. Points to somebody who not only created it, but holds everything together. A regularity. Who's to say the sun will come up tomorrow? The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south. It goes round to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea but the sea is not full. You ever notice that? You ever notice that the rivers keep flowing on into the ocean but they never stop? There never comes a point where the rivers go, that's it, we're done, she's full. You ever notice that? You ever notice that just as quick as you mow the grass is as quick as you've got to mow it again? Ever notice that as quick as you go to the hairdresser, for some of us, brother, do you know as as quick as you go to the hairdresser is as quick as you've got to return? Baldness is a blessing because you save money. But have you ever noticed that your toil is never done? Have you ever noticed how hard you work but you've always got more work to do? Have you ever noticed that when you get to work on Monday morning and you clear out all that paperwork on your desk, have you ever noticed that by Monday morning again it's all there again? Have you ever noticed that pastors notice this? Have you ever noticed pastors or anybody that as soon as you finish preparing a sermon that you've got to prepare another one? Have you ever noticed that the streams run into the ocean but they're never full? And have you also ever noticed that everything's been going on the same way that it has been For years upon years upon years upon years. And for most of us, if we're honest, the Ecclesiastes will say, in a couple of generations, people won't even remember your name. And what Ecclesiastes is trying to say is, he's lifting the lid and saying, have a look at your life, guys. Have a look at what you're putting all your guarantees and trust in. You're putting your trust in something that never finishes. You're trying to get to the point, I mean, what is success? When do you actually get there? When does anybody turn around and go, ah, I'm successful, I'm done? Nobody's got there. The sea is never full. The fact of the matter is, we live in a very thirsty world. Ravi Zachariah says, no matter how much we try to run away from the thirst for the answer to life and for the meaning of life, the intensity only gets stronger and stronger. We cannot escape these spiritual hungers. Secularism is people trying to drink it up. But it's just like being, ever been really, 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 really thirsty and then grabbed a can of Coke, slammed down that can of Coke and then 30 seconds realised, I'm just as thirsty, if not thirstier, than I was when I started. And so it is with people in the world. They think that they can top up their spiritual thirst. They think They, can, they think they will find a quenching to their thirst. What did Jesus say? If you're thirsty, come to me. Stop looking for the answers to the meaning of life. Jesus is it. He is the one that can satisfy. In truth, let's... Let's expose this a little bit further, shall we? Anyone here watch The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Some people here will know exactly what I'm going to say now. And uh, I'm trying to get my facts straight as I do. I believe it was written by Douglas Adams, and I believe there was a supercomputer uh, that was charged with the job of finding out the answer to everything, the universe and and the meaning to everything. And after seven and a half million years, this supercomputer punched out the number 42. To the astonishment of everybody there, and then everybody. turns around and goes, 42, is that all you came up with? To which the supercomputer replies, which I think was named deep thought, to which the supercomputer replies, in fairness, I'm not sure you understood the question. That's deeply profound. Because everybody wants to know the answer to the meaning of life, but I'm not sure that everybody understands the question. In fact, if I was to ask you, what is the meaning of life for you, we would get a varied number of responses depending on where we are. I'm not sure that everybody understands the question. What is the meaning of life? What point will you stand and say, I have found it? At what point would somebody in the world say, I have reached the pinnacle of success? I'm not 100% sure that any of us understand a lot of our questions. So now what the preacher will do as we can finish off chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now what the preacher desires to do is to close all the back doors that we tend to run out of. People find back doors to run away from God, I have found. And the first one is the vanity that is in wisdom. But have have a listen to his words. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So it's definitely Solomon. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. I, I applied my heart all that was within me, that's the Hebrew word for heart, it encapsulates your will, it encapsulates your emotions and everything, I, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom, all that is done under heaven, hello, there's a different reference to, not under the sun now, it's under heaven, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, All is vanity and a striving after the wind. See how he makes that distinction between under the heaven? I've I've seen everything that's been done under the sun now and it's all vanity. What conclusion he comes to in verse 15 is a little saying that says, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. And what he's really trying to tell us is, uh, I actually can't change anything. What I found was that I went on this diligent search and I found that what was crooked I couldn't make straight because God was the one that made it crooked and I can't change that. I can't change anything really that's permanently in place and I also found that what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, the more knowledge that I acquired, I found out just how much I don't know. Unless you're a teenager, of course. (laughs) Wisdom works backwards in age, I found. Apparently you start with all the wisdom in the world and you decrease over the years. Have you noticed that, parents? Uh, My daughter Sophie is currently writing a book called The Art of Raising Parents. (laughs) It's being revised. So there's vanity in wisdom. I've applied to find out everything that is happening under the sun and I find that it's all vanity. I find that really at the end of the day, we're just a part of it. We don't control it. And we have to take stock of our hearts, friends, because there is a place inside of these walls. Remember, remember Israel coming out of the Promised Land? And you see, God never told them they were going to the Promised Land, sorry, out of Egypt, sorry. God never told them they were going to the Promised Land. He actually said they're going to worship at Mount Sinai. That's what, that, that was the first call. God was always taking them to the promised land. But firstly, we were just going to go and worship. And you notice what happens when they get there? They get there and God comes down on the mountain and they all see God's glory and presence and they turn around to Moses and go, you go up and talk to that guy, and we'll wait here. But then what happens? Moses, Moses goes up the mountain and uh, he's there for 40 days. But what do they do? They do something that nothing has changed since the time of Moses. They say, Aaron... Make us a God that we can see. Make us a God that we can control. Make us a God that we can get our head around. Make us a God that is in the image of a calf. And the whole heart behind that is we want to be able to get our head around this God. We want to be able to calculate this God. We want to be able to control this God. We want to be the ones that are in control of our destiny. Yeah, we want to acknowledge God, but we're the ones that want to be in control. We want to find all of our purpose and meaning in just tacking God on at the end of the train of our lives. God will settle for nothing less than being the engine, friends. And what Ecclesiastes is saying is, let God be the engine and tack yourself on behind him, and trust him to guide your life. Let's move on to one that would hit all of us. Now, have a listen to Solomon here in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. And that test is exactly meant to mean Experiment. Come now, I will experiment with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Have a listen as we read through this section of what he comes to. Start at verse 4. We see things. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I made myself gardens and parks. And I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools. I, uh, I amassed great possessions. And I had great gold and treasure. This guy ate his breakfast Wheaties out of gold bowls. King Solomon, if you transferred his wealth to today, I don't know anybody that would compare and there's not a historian that would disregard that. This guy was abundantly wealthy. When God questions him and says, you ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you, riches, pleasure, whatever. He says, I want wisdom to run your people. And God says, I'll give you the wisdom, and because you ask for that, I will not hold back any of the others. And God did not hold back the riches and the wealth. This man was a wealthy man. I don't know why, but he decided to have something like 80 concubines in his house. All of us men are going, hallelujah. This man knew all the pleasures that the world has to offer. And he had the resources to experiment. He had the resources to investigate, just like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Solomon, one lady would have been enough. So now he goes on the pursuit of self indulgence. Ravi Zachariah says the pleasure without God, without the sacred boundaries. And this is what hedonism does it removes boundaries pleasure without God and without the sacred boundaries will actually leave you emptier than before. And this is biblical truth and it's experiential truth. I love how he goes on to say that the the loneliest people in the world are amongst the wealthiest and most famous who found no boundaries with which to live. That is a fact I've seen again and again. Some of the most successful people in the world are some of the most unhappy people. Some of the people that make us laugh the most. My favourite actor was Robin Williams. But some of the people that make us laugh the most are hurting inside, behind closed doors because they can't answer these questions. They can't answer these questions and it's so simple because Jesus is the answer. Solomon went on a barrage to explore all that secular society could offer and all that hedonism could offer. Hedonism is is the absolute removing of boundaries. It's just whatever is pleasurable, I'm going to do that. And we have plundered our vulnerable people in the process. We have plundered women and children and all those sorts of things in the process because boundaries are removed. We have plundered what is sacred in marriage. We have plundered what it means to be alive. Because we've removed boundaries. G.K. Chesterton said, before anybody tears down a fence, they should pause just long enough to ask themselves why it was put there in the first place. Why do we have these boundaries? And he says... Verse 9 of chapter 2, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep for them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Verse 11, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He now goes on to the vanity of wise living. And this is where we get to the point of no guarantees because here he says that he, he, he turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do, it says in verse 12, uh, for what can a man do who comes after the king? In other words, he now goes on this barra to, to live wisely and he says that it's good to live wisely. We're talking about the writer of the Proverbs here. He says, it's good to live wisely, But have a look at verse 14. The wise person has his eyes in his head. In other words, it's good. But the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same events happened to all of them. And he comes to the point where he says, So I hated life because what he's done under the sun was grievous to me for all his vanity and his striving after the wind. And it's the same with toil. We now move on to the vanity of toil. And our work is never done. Because sometimes, verse 21, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. Spend the inheritance, parents. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because when we get down to verse... 24 it says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I have saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Apart from him, apart from God, who can eat? and who can have enjoyment. Here's the good news, friends. All good things are given to us from above for us to enjoy. They come down from the Father of the heavenly lights, tells us James. And what the writer to Ecclesiastes is saying is, no, I'm not telling you that you should not enjoy life. What I am telling you is, you can only enjoy the things of this world in connection to God. When you find all of your pleasure, I love John Piper. John Piper, the catchphrase of John Piper is Christian hedonism. And it is exactly the opposite to what we see in secular society. Instead of trying to find all of our joy and all of our pleasure and all of our meaning in this world, John Piper says we should transfer that to God and we should, we should absolutely tap the springs of God and find all of our joy in Him. When you wake up in the morning, what is it that gladdens and delights your heart? It should be God. And I know we love that verse in Psalms 37 that says, He will give you the desires of your heart. But please read the first part of that verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And if you have delighted yourself in the Lord, what will be your desire? Friends, I am doing you a disservice if I let you stand before God and not tell you that you cannot build your life on the physical world that is around us. You will find no guarantees in what is under the sun. Please find all of your guarantees in Jesus As the worship team comes back, I would like to turn your attention to a little parable in Matthew 13. These two parables are very, very short. The second one's the one I want to focus on, but it absolutely revolutionized my life when I read it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, says Jesus. Verse 45, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and brought it. And here we are living in a world where people are looking for pearls. And what Jesus says is the kingdom of God, or or Jesus is just like this pearl merchant who goes through all of life testing everything, just like the writer to Ecclesiastes. And when he finds Jesus, he'll sell all of those pearls just so he can have Jesus. And friends, I want to challenge you this morning who is your pearl? Where do you find your guarantees in this life? I've known people who have been immensely fit and suffered tragic accidents and been snuffed out far too early. I know people who had solid jobs and careers, who lost it overnight. Tim Keller speaks of a lady. Tim Keller runs a church, by the way, in Manhattan. And he says, he speaks of a lady and he says... uh, when the GFC came, this lady came to him and said, you know, um, my business is 95%. What happened at the GFC? And she said, he said, this lady was uh, a millionaire, easily a millionaire. And he said, here I am thinking I'm going to have to get all pastoral. He said, but thank God she saved me from that and did it herself. And he, she comes to Tim Keller and says, I'm actually going to lose 95% of my wealth. And she turns around and she says, but that's Okay. And he says, what? And she says, well, you know what? She said, I'm going to have to sell my house. I'm going to have to buy a smaller house. I'm going to have to readjust my living. I'm going to have to learn to live on a budget, Tim. She says, but you know what? Man, I'm going to have some time to devote to the church. Can you see where a pearl is? She lost everything overnight of the global financial crisis. And she says, but that's okay. I've still got the greatest pearl in the universe, which is Jesus. Can we bow our heads, please, this morning? If you're sitting here this morning and you need to do business with God in any fashion, maybe you're, maybe you're here and you're looking for that pearl yourself, then I would encourage you. If you need prayer, then myself and the, and the leadership team are here to pray with you. But can we just bow our heads together in prayer for a moment? Father, I pray that every person in this room would find all of their guarantees in Jesus alone. This life is full of uncertainty just as the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. We will find no meaning and no purpose outside of you, Jesus. And I pray that every one of us, including myself, will only ever find meaning in Jesus. But help us answer the questions that are outside of this room. Help us to, help us to engage with the downhearted. Help us to live lives that display that answer Jesus you're the pearl of the universe you're magnificent Jesus and I thank you that the answer is so simple that just like Holmes we're overlooking the obvious answer it's so simple come to you if you're thirsty this morning I encourage you to come to him Let us stand and sing this last song together. In Jesus' name, Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.